The Breakdown Politics with Mercer Prescott and his band of eclectic cronies telling you what you need to know regarding politics breaking it down politics and welcome to another episode of politics with Mercer Prescott and his band of eclectic cronies giving you the news you can use so you don't lose when it comes to this game called politics. Because believe me, you're going to lose. But at least we'll try to give you a fighting chance. It's like having five to ten kings on a board and, and the only pawn. But look how much power the kings and the queens have over the pawn. The pawn is expendable, but I'm going to tell you a secret. The pawn in numbers is the most valuable weapon you can have. Mark, do your thing. Thank you, Brother Blue. What's going on? What's going on? I need to get a stand for my phone because I'm trying to set my timer up and I'm trying to put it, I'm not trying to make it stand up. It keeps falling down. I don't know. But anyway, we're going to jump right into it. We got a lot to talk about today. And I'm going to start with uh, Kylie Jenner. And I don't want to spend too much time on Kylie because I'm not really a fan of hers. I'm not a fan of opulence, of people who just have money and just buy expensive bullshit all day. But she did something that pissed me off this week. And I just wanted to talk about it real quick. And before I do, I wanted to read a quote from uh, Fran Lebowitz, right? Bear with me here. She says, I always say to people, no one earns a hundred million dollars. You steal a hundred million. People earn $10 an hour. People earn $40,000 a year because earn means work, okay? It doesn't mean steal which with these vast amounts of money, of course, you steal them. There's also the idea in this country that it's not, it's not wholly new, but it's new in its kind of purity that, if, that you have to be really smart to be really rich. I always say to people, the reason people believe this is because A, they've never met a really smart person and B, they've never met a really rich person. She said, I've met both and I cannot see the crossover. You don't have to be a genius to get rich you have to be ruthless to get rich. Or in the case of Kylie Jenner, you have to be born to the right family. Depending on who you talk to, Kylie Jenner is worth anywhere between 700 and $900 million. Most people I've, that I've looked up, they said she's worth about $700 million. And she leads an opulent lifestyle. I mean, you know, she's has a huge presence on Instagram. She has tons of followers. She has, uh, she has a car collection worth about $24 million. And I think I was trying to find a make and model, but one of her cars supposedly is worth $5 million. Matter of fact, uh, Travis Scott, when she was dating Travis Scott, I don't know, I don't even know if they're still together or not, but he bought her a car worth a million dollars. You know, so she even bought a $150,000 handbag. Why you would buy that, I don't know. I, I mean, Unless you can get inside and drive the handbag, it's not worth having a $150,000 handbag. But the reason why I bring up Kylie Jenner is not just to point out the obvious that she's really, really rich, is that she has a friend who is her uh, makeup artist, right? And uh, he's also a makeup artist for people like uh, Khloe Kardashian, so on and so forth. He got into a really bad car accident, had to have emergency brain surgery, and then he, he ended up with $60,000 in medical bills. So you figure 
that would just be the end of that, right? Kali just pays medical bills and he's done, right? Nope. Kali gets on her Instagram and, you know, says like, you know, you know, he's in our prayers, you know, he needs help. And she uh, puts up his GoFundMe page. And you know how much he donated to his GoFundMe page? $5,000. Now, you spent $150,000 on a goddamn handbag. You can't spend $60,000 to help your friend out of medical debt. Now, it had a happy ending because at, at last count, which is a few days ago, the page had, uh, the GoFundMe page had over $100,000 in it. So he's gonna be fine, medical bills wise, right? So we don't gotta worry about that. It's just the fact that she couldn't just spend the money to help her friend but she could buy all the expensive garbage she wants. Now, the other reason why I bring this up is that you would figure, now I don't know Kylie's politics because I don't really care about her. But in any event, if you figure, hey, you know, like I put it like this. I have two people who I grew up with. I went to high school with. One I went to junior high school with who are battling cancer. One, she has breast cancer, and the other one, this is his second go around with cancer. And my first thought should be, you know, like one of my friends, she has, she has two young kids, and she had to explain to them what chemotherapy is, which is, which is heart-rending enough. But my first thought isn't on their recovery. My first thought is, God, I hope they have good insurance. I'm hoping they're going to be able to, hope they're going to be able to pay for this. Because they're the same age as me, which means that we're getting up there in the years, but we're not like up there for Medicare. Which means that we have private insurance, which means that we have we are at their mercy. So you would think that Kali would take this opportunity to talk about the healthcare system and why we need to change the healthcare system. But why would Kylie care about that? Obviously, she cares more about her fucking handbags than she cares about her friends. And second of all, Kylie's filthy, stinking rich and always will be. So if something happens to her, she could just pay for it. She probably doesn't even have healthcare. She probably just pays for everything out of pocket because she can, because she has that luxury, because she's part of the 1%. And this whole notion that rich people are these, you know, these benevolent beings, these cosmic angels come down to help us is absolutely ridiculous. Because yeah, there are some people who are, that wealthy who do help people and who do try and shape policy to help the, you know, help the working class. But that is rare. It's like finding a unicorn riding a polar bear. You know what I mean? It's it's just yeah, like Bill Gates. That's what he does, right? Bill Gates does that to a point. But Bill Gates does spend a tremendous amount of money in uh, in philanthropy. You know, Bill Gates, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and they do a lot of good. But Bill Gates is still one of the richest men in the world, you know. But he does put money toward good causes. So I'm not going to knock Bill Gates like that, you know. You got people like Elon Musk who's building a, a goddamn space program because he thinks that, you know, this planet's done. So let's go to Mars. <laughs> like, like, like Elon, no one asked you to do that, you know. We got Jeff Bezos, who's the richest man in the world, worth $200 billion and still won't even let his workers form a union. 
when he has more money than he can spend in 20 lifetimes. So this whole notion that these people are like these benevolent, you know, demigods is, is just stupid. And the fact that uh, Kali Jenner couldn't spend 1% of 1% of her wealth to help her friend out outright, you know, to beg her followers who are mostly working class people to chip in their hard earned money to help her friend is just absolutely ridiculous. So I'm glad that his GoFundMe got taken care of. I'm glad he's not going to have to pay medical bills, you know, but I, I think he just needs to find better friends. <laughs> just find better friends. I, I, I'll tell you two people who are never going to be friends, uh, Dr. Fauci and Rand Paul. Now, before I get into those two, I just can't overstate how much Donald Trump failed in this COVID response. You know, I, I see Donald Trump on TV all now. Well, you know, he, he gives out press releases because he's not on social media anymore because they banned him. So he's basically giving out press releases for people to read. And then when he's on Fox News, he's talking about how bad a job Joe Biden's doing you know, with COVID and all this other, like no one gives a shit what Donald Trump has to say. I mean, he was president for four years and he was the worst president, dead or alive, real or fictional. So nothing Donald Trump says moves me in that respect. Now, one of the things that Trump has been saying lately is, that, is how bad Biden, when he was vice president, failed against swine flu, H1N1, which is absolutely not true. Now, you would think it's true if you'd listen to Donald Trump and you would think it's true if he didn't know how numbers worked, okay? Put it like this, uh, as far as a COVID plan or any sort of plan for any sort of pandemic that might've come our way, Obama left a plan behind, right? to help mitigate future pandemics because he knew there were gonna be future pandemics. Because I think there were like two, maybe three that happened during his presidency, right? I think, uh, I forget what the others were, but H1N1 was one of the bigger ones. And you figure it wasn't just Trump's fault, it was also the Republican controlled Senate's fault because it was their job to fund it, to replenish all the stuff that we used up during H1N1 and they didn't do that because it's Obama, they did it for political reasons, okay? It also, Trump didn't follow the advice of Dr. Fauci. He did, the, he did the opposite of everything Fauci said. Fauci's been doing his job for 30 years under what, seven different presidents? And you would figure that he would listen to Fauci. So according to the CDC, there were um, a total of 12,000 deaths from the swine flu in the United States right, over the course of about 18 months or so. There have been 11,000 deaths from coronavirus just in North Carolina. 540,000 COVID deaths in the United States alone, which is 20% of all worldwide coronavirus deaths despite the fact that America is 4% of the population. So we're 4% of the population, but yet we have one fifth of all COVID deaths. So how is Joe Biden a failure in this? It's just pure deflection. Now, there's been some good news, okay? Vaccinations have been ramping up and we're actually ahead of schedule 
on vaccinations, right? The last time I checked, uh, which is a little less than a week ago, one in six Americans have been fully vaccinated. But there's a roadblock. Our vaccinations are going up, but new cases should be going down. But right now, the line is flat, and it's flat for a reason. Conservative men don't want to get vaccinated for various reasons. There were some people who had a lot of mistrust because these, uh, these vaccines were made by corporations, right? We all know that corporations have only one reason for existing, make a profit. So uh, human life be damned, even if the goal is to preserve human life. So we've known corporations to cut corners in order to put out their products to make a profit. Uh, Roundup, the pesticide is pretty much, and, and don't quote me 100% on this, but I know there was like a, a big study on this, how part of the reason why all these bees are dying off is because of these pesticides. And of course we need bees to live because without bees, there's not gonna be flowers. Without flowers, it's not gonna be trees, it's not gonna be oxygen. <laughs> so this whole you know notion that ah we don't need bees, yeah, we kind of need them. You know, you figure yeah, my my nephew, every time he stops by, he always reminds me because I have like uh, I get I order water, you know, from uh from Amazon and I got a couple cases, you know, stacked up in the in the corner. And he's like, Uncle, Uncle Mersh, you're not buying Nestle water, are you? I'm like, no, I don't buy Nestle water because Nestle is basically stealing their water from California. How they let that happen, I don't know. But they're not paying for the water they take from California and they clean it up and bottle it and sell it and make a profit. So when you think of corporations, you don't think warm, fuzzy thoughts. You know, I order from Amazon all the time, you know, order at least twice a week from, um, you know, from a, the, the, their supermarket service. But in a way, it's kind of like, Blue, you ever watch a movie called Pineapple Express? With uh, Seth Rogen and uh, what's his name? James Franco. No, I have not. I don't watch movies like that. I, you know, it's funny. My niece told me that um, my, uh, my, well, he's my grandnephew, but I call him my nephew. When he did, when he did a remote, he's, he's in remote learning for kindergarten go figure and uh they were wearing like they had like a funny shirt day and the only t-shirt she had for him was a Cheech and Chong t-shirt and I and you know and you know Cheech and Chong was before my niece's time like she was born in the early 90s Cheech and Chong were big in the 70s you know so I I, I gave her a couple of clips and um you know Cheech and Chong is stoner humor but you don't have to be a stoner to find it funny you know, Pineapple Express was just kind of like, hey, you know, if you're not down with the culture, some of the jokes going to go over your head. But the reason why I bring that up is because one of the main things is in the story was like James Franco was uh, Seth, uh, not, you know, was Seth Rogen's uh, drug dealer, you know, for weed. And basically Seth Rogen just wanted to get his drugs, he just wanted to get his weed and go home and smoke. But James Franco's character was always just like, hey, let's hang out, man. And he's like, dude, we don't have a type of relationship. 
You know, you're my drug dealer. Give me my drugs so I can go. You know, basically Amazon is basically like, you know, my drug dealer, but it's not because he has like the best stuff. It's because he murdered all the other drug dealers and I have no choice but to buy from him. <laughs> so it's kind of like where I'm at with Amazon, you know, it's like I use Amazon, but I hate it because I know that every time I order something, I notice some guy wearing diapers who put it in the cart for me because he can't take a break because every time he, he stops to take a piss, his pay's being docked, you know, which, which just sucks. It just really sucks. But um, you figure With conservative men, it's absolutely ridiculous because you know I, I I've been I would read, I've been reading these articles and they're like yeah what about bipartisanship and I'm just like man fuck bipartisanship because how can you compromise with people who don't care about themselves? Forget the fact they don't care about other people. That's to be expected when you talk about far right. They don't care about themselves at all. So you figure all right, you know, yes, some of the vaccines do have some mild side effects, you know, maybe at worst, you may miss a day of work if it gets really bad. But the upside is, is that once it's in your body for a couple of weeks, you have a far less chance of spreading coronavirus. And you can hang out with other people who've been vaccinated. And then if you're a grandparent, you can hang out with your kids again. You know, you can hang out in small gatherings. You know, it's one more step toward normalcy. Now, like I said, I was skeptical about it because of the whole corporation thing. You know, but when you find out that, you know, it, it got made quicker to normal because of cooperation between uh, American corporations and, and other corporations around the world to try to get this thing done quickly, you know, it puts my, my mind at ease a little bit more, you know, but conservative men are just like like half of them are just like no we don't want it we're not we're never going to get it elon musk said he's not going to get vaccinated so let me get this straight you got elon musk who basically says yeah i'm, I'm hoarding all these resources because i want to you know i want us to go live on mars but you won't get vaccinated because you don't trust vaccinations so you don't trust basic science but you just trust like astrophysics Get the fuck out of here with that stupid ass horse shit, you know. But you have people like Rand Paul who are making things worse. Rand Paul was in a, uh, he had a hearing with Dr. Fauci, right? And he's basically just telling, and Dr. Fauci is being overly cautious. I understand why he's being overly cautious because this pandemic has been going on for quite a while. And when you have pandemics that go on for quite a while, what happens is variants. So if you have variants, then basically, if the variants get strong enough, then your vaccination won't really matter. Because here's the thing, can somebody who's been vaccinated get coronavirus again? Yes, but it's rare. It's very rare that somebody who's been vaccinated who already had coronavirus can get it again. But it can happen. And because we have so many stupid people in this country, Fauci's being overly cautious. 
because he's like, if you've been vaccinated and you were other people who've been vaccinated, you should be fine to, re to be as normal. But if you're out in public, you still need to wear a mask. And Rand Paul doesn't like that. So he basically called Fauci wearing a mask in public, even though he's been vaccinated, he called it political theater. And Fauci's like, masks are not political theater. Masks are protection. This is how we protect ourselves from a virus that's already killed half a million people in the United States alone. But the problem is, you know, they listen to these politicians, you know, tell them, because I'm, I'm, I'm almost, I mean, and, you know, Rand Paul is literally telling Fauci, hey, you know what, if you want people to get vaccinated, tell them that if they get vaccinated, they don't have to wear masks anymore. And Fauci's like, well, that's not true. Because we still need time to get everybody vaccinated. There's still two thirds of the country that hasn't that either hasn't been vaccinated at all or is waiting for their second shot. Rand Paul is a motherfucking eye doctor. And I don't even think he's accredited anymore. So if I need to, if I'm having trouble reading an eye chart from 10 paces away, okay, I, I'll call Dr. Fauci, maybe, because if he's not in my network, I'm not, I mean, I mean, sorry, I, I call Rand Paul if I can't read an eye chart. And even then, I'd be skeptical because I don't even think he's certified anymore. But if I need to learn about infectious diseases, I talk to Dr. Fauci because that's what he's been doing for 30 years under seven presidents. And the fact that Rand Paul will sit there and challenge him just to score political points is absolutely disgusting because you already have people who are already not even on defense about it. Like, no, I'm not getting it. And that's going to be dangerous because it's going to keep us from getting where we need to go with this whole, you know, with this whole thing. So it, it just absolutely amazes me people's whole self-destructive nihilistic view that they feel is just normal just because, you know, I, I can't understand it. But I, I, I will say one thing, you know, I, I was reading up today, uh, my friend Nat Turner, you know, he has a, uh, he has a show on YouTube called Waking the Giant. And uh, he had just put out a new episode. I didn't get a chance to watch it yet because I just got the notification while I was at work today. So I'm going to watch it tonight before I go to bed. But he had a uh, had episode about voting called it Voting 101. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to watch it, you know, tonight before I go to bed, you know. So I was doing a little bit of research. So I didn't get a chance to watch it beforehand. Now, you've probably been hearing a lot about the filibuster, right? And... Republicans are basically talking about, they're using terms like scorched earth, nuclear winter, if Democrats go ahead and repeal the filibuster, right? Here's a couple of things you need to know about the filibuster. Number one, the filibuster was hated by the founding fathers. Before we had the constitution, we had the Articles of Confederation. And the Articles of Confederation sucked so bad that in 1789, it was replaced with the constitution. Because at first they had a meeting to reform it. And then they were like, this, this piece of shit can't be reformed. Let's just start fresh. And they came up with the constitution. 
right? One of the main things to remember, okay, is that the filibuster was not in the original constitution because the founding fathers did not like the idea of the minority party constantly jamming up the majority party just because they're mad that they lost. So they won't do it because, well, I think that this law needs to be reworked. They will just do it because they just hate the other party. And they just want to embarrass them and jam them up at every turn. So that's why the filibuster was not included in the constitution. It wasn't included until later, okay? So this is from uh, thefederalist.com. And this is from 2017. This is about the time when um, Neil Gorsuch was being nominated, okay? Short history of the filibuster. In keeping with its, in its inauspicious birth, the procedure was not used until 1837 when a group of pro-Jackson, well, Andrew Jackson senators sought to expunge President Jackson's censure from congressional record. Jackson had been censored by the Senate for removing federal deposits from the National Bank. The anti-Jackson senators filibustered until midnight, but were persuaded to stand down and let the measure pass, although they walked out. In 1841, Henry Clay tried to abolish it. There were few filibusters in the 19th century, despite the intense partisanship of the era. In 1917, Senator Robert Follette led a group of 11 senators on a filibuster of the Armed Ship Act, which would have armed US merchantmen following the sinking of the Lusitania. President Wilson castigated them as a little group of willful men and demanded that the Senate adopt a rule to prevent filibusters. It did, resulting in Rule 22, which allowed the Senate to close debate, also known as clotcher, by a vote of two thirds of those senators present and voting. Of course, those of a certain age and film buffs associate the popular image of the filibuster as Jimmy Stewart in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. In that film, Stewart's passionate Senator Jefferson Smith holds the Senate floor in defense of the little guy against entrenched special interests. It made for great cinema. It was nominated for 11 Academy Awards, screened by the National Press Club for its 1939 opening night in Washington, DC. It was panned as anti-American and pro-communist and banned in Hitler's Germany, Mussolini's Italy, Franco's Spain, and Stalin's Russia. Go figure. Okay, the real life version of that cinematic portrayal was Senator Strom Thurmond holding the floor for 24 hours to defeat the 1957 Civil Rights Act. This is the important part here, okay? In the 20s, 30s, and 40s, filibusters were used to defeat anti-lynching bills and other civil rights legislation. The filibuster has been reformed, modified, expanded, and contracted over the years, and it has not included president. Oh, I'm sorry, it has and has not included presidential nominations and judges, uh, motions, legislation, and treaties. Clotcher has variously uh, has variously required a vote of either two thirds of the body, two thirds of those present, and three fifths of the body. It has come a long way from the original rules of the Senate, which allowed debate to be closed by a simple majority vote. Okay, so basically, I'm not going to read the rest. I think I read enough. But basically, what the author of this article is saying is that the filibuster is not gospel. 
it's not in the original constitution. It needs to be, it needs to be killed. Because if you don't kill the filibuster, the minority party is going to basically just jam up the majority party at will. I didn't pull the numbers, but matter of fact, don't take my word for it. Look it up. Look up how many times the filibuster was used in the last 20 years before Obama's presidency and how many times it was used during Obama's presidency. It's basically just a mechanism that had been used classically to support white supremacy and racism, to defeat civil rights bills, anti-lynching bills, any, any sort of civil rights legislation, that's what the filibuster was used for. It was used to kill it. So now we come to a crossroads. We come to Joe Biden, right? You figure Jolton Joe Biden, uh, he has, I don't know if, if it's because, you know, people have been talking in his ear. I don't know, you know. It seemed like he was just going to be another centrist caretaker president, right? Who was basically going to squander everything. And in, in, in the midterms, he's going to get destroyed. And then we'll never hear about him again until he decides to either die or not run again because he's too old and feeble. Right. But he's working on a, a $3 trillion infrastructure bill. And once again, don't take my word for it. Look it up. Looks decent. I haven't had a chance to study the entire bill yet. You know, I, I just had like just basic talking points on it. And I don't want to go just by the talking points. I want to try and get in the meat and potatoes of it. But from what I've read, it looks pretty good. It looks like something I'd get behind. And he wants to pay for part of it by raising taxes on the rich, which is not sitting well with Republicans. So Joe Biden is finally starting to figure, hey, if I want to leave a legacy, right, because he's not going to run again, that's definitely not going to happen. He's definitely not going to run again. You know, if I want to leave any sort of legacy, it's not going to be working with the Republicans because look what look what the Republicans did in the uh, in the last bill. They stalled and they stalled and they put stuff in it and they stalled and they put stuff in it and they stalled. And then when it came time for a vote, not one of those cocksuckers voted for the bill. Not a one. So basically all that bipartisanship that my fucking centrist friends love to talk about. Hey man, we need the Republicans in on this. We need uh, bipartisanship. Every time I hear bipartisanship, I just want to take a shit. Like that's how much that word messes up my stomach, bipartisanship. You know who believes in bipartisanship? The minority party. Bipartisanship, 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 bipartisanship. You should be all shitted out by now. Basically, I was about to say, I was about to be like, well now I gotta take a short break. <laughs> I'll be right back. But it's just, how many times are they going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? How many times are they going to try and kick Lucy's football before they realize I'm never going to kick the football and I need to check my tailpipe for that banana before I drive? How many times are they going to do that before they realize that the Republicans are not about bipartisanship? They want to be in power, but 
uh, they don't want to do anything good for anybody, just for the rich and just for the donors. So that's why Mitch McConnell is out there trying to, to scare people, talking about scorched earth and nuclear winters and all this other horse shit that he's been talking about. And it's basically just because Joe Biden is pretty much at the crossroads. He's at the crossroads where it's either, hey, either I do the same bullshit I did under Obama and get nothing done and then get obliterated in the midterms, or I go out and I do something good for the people and we keep them and we keep the Senate in the House for the midterms, maybe even expand on it. And then I'll have a presidency like FDR's or Lyndon B. Johnson's where people will remember me for actually doing something. And he's starting to realize the only way I'm going to do it is without the Republicans because they ain't about shit. And the only way we could do that is to get rid of the filibuster. Last week, Joe Biden was talking dumb shit about, yeah, well, you know, well, maybe we'll just reform it and make it back to the way it was like in Mr. Smith goes to Washington. And today he was in a meeting with, of all the people he could be in a meeting with, historians. And I'm like, okay, why don't you just talk to the people? You don't need historians to tell you that you need to get rid of the filibuster. You need to talk to average ordinary people who can't pay their medical bills, who are, who are suffering right now because they work two jobs and don't make any money. Those are the people you need to talk to. Historians, get the fuck out of here with that stupid shit. But I'll tell you this, if the historians are gonna steer Joe toward getting rid of the filibuster for good, all right, listen to the historians. <laughs> if the historians that he's been talking to will convince him the only way you're gonna the only way forward is through the only way through is get rid of the filibuster then you know what i'm all for it but there is no way joe biden is ever going to succeed by playing patty cake with the republicans and that's what we've been saying for the last i don't know three, four months that he's been president. So as, as always, we'll wait and see, you know? I mean, one of the things that they talked about in that bill, you know, in the, the infrastructure bill is broadband to rural areas. That would be fantastic. I live in Cary, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh. So I have my pick of internet, right? But somebody who lives way out in the sticks doesn't have that luxury. So now if your school shuts down and you don't have broadband, what are your kids supposed to do? If they either have no internet or no broadband internet. If you work from home, a lot of places are not gonna let you work from home uh, with DSL or satellite because it's not fast enough. You've got to have broadband if you're going to work from home. So there are a lot of people missing a lot of opportunities because they don't have internet. Obama was trying to get internet to be a, a public utility, which means that since they're not moving out of pure profit, they'll go out and bring internet to the, to the rural areas. It only makes sense. The reason why Medicare is so efficient 
is because Medicare is not for profit. When Obama made the 80-20 rule, right, is part of the uh, part of Obamacare, right? That basically means that the insurance companies cannot spend more than 20% of, of those premiums on overhead. And if they're caught doing it, they have to refund that money to the people. I've gotten a check uh, because of that, because I got overcharged and they had to give me, they had to give me a rebate check. Okay, you know what Medicare's uh, overhead is? Between three and 5%. So they had, so private insurance had to be capped, capped at 20%. Medicare between three and 5%. You know why? Because they're not for profit. So I'm pretty sure they have higher ups who make more than other people because they're managers, but they don't have CEOs and stockholders. So there are some good things in this bill. And also, I mean, the best thing about the bill really is a bunch of high paying jobs. Because the whole point of infrastructure is maintaining it, not just building it, and, but maintaining it. So yeah, there's going to be a drop off in jobs when everything is built but there's still gonna be plenty of permanent jobs for maintaining the structures. The reason why our bridges and roads are falling apart is because we don't have people maintaining them on a regular basis. One of the most well-maintained roads in the world is the Autobahn in Germany. You know why? Because the Autobahn uh, has no speed limit. <laughs> My brother, when he lived in Germany, uh, rented a sports car and got to drive on the Autobahn. I don't know how fast he went, where his, his total, I'm pretty sure, knowing him, I'm pretty sure it was over 100 miles an hour. <laughs> but those roads have to be pristine. Because if you hit a pothole at 110 miles an hour, you're done. Brooklyn is pretty much a city built on potholes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's plenty of permanent jobs to be had in an infrastructure bill. You know, green energy, all that stuff. But the only way Biden's going to get it through is they have to kill the filibuster. So we'll have to see what Biden's going to do. Okay. Do I think Biden's going to succeed? No, I do not. Do I want him to succeed in the worst way if that's really what he wants to do? Yes, absolutely I do. So we're just gonna have to just wait and see. And of course, uh, get on him on Twitter and, and Instagram if he starts to fuck up. <laughs> you know, his eyes don't be working like that. You see he fell, he fell going up some damn stairs. Oh, that looks so bad. Fox News had so much fun with that. One of my friends had a meme about that and she was just like, you know what? Uh, call me when uh, call me when Biden tries to change the course of a hurricane with a Sharpie. <laughs> you know, everybody falls down sometimes. It's embarrassing as all hell, but it happens everybody. I'm not gonna rag on Biden for that. I wrote a song about it, but um, anyways, it, was, it, was, it did really well. I think we got a Grammy for it, me. Um, Sunshine and Kanye, 
want to say we got a Grammy for that. I think we got a Grammy for that. I'm pretty sure we got a Grammy for that. Anyways, I digress. <clears throat> I'd like to make a point real quick. Sure. I want us as a collective, I want people to really talk to your legislators and senators about working on a bill to remove lobbyists and special interest groups from the game to make it so that you can't have outside interests that you could benefit from by being a senator or legislator, especially if you're on a special counsel and get inside information. I only say this because I look at poor Martha Stewart and how they railroaded her and gave her a felony for doing what they call insider information. And yet these senators, these legislators, they get away with it every single time with no repercussions, no punishment. If they get caught out, caught out, they might get removed from a certain council, but for the most part, they get no legal measures deemed against them. And I think it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at a television show and I'm looking at a black rapper who smokes weed all the time. And I'm looking at a pretty white pristine woman and only one of them has a felony and it's not the black rapper. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And keep one thing in mind. Um, When you write your senators and you write your congressmen, they are listening. So even if they're not listening to their messages directly, they pay people to listen to these and compile these things and give them that information. Like, I remember I called uh, Richard Burr's office. I don't remember why I called him. (laughs) Something was going on in North Carolina and I called his office directly. And he actually had uh, some intern pick up the phone. And I talked to her for like, five minutes about about whatever i had to talk about you know but they uh they do listen when you call them you know it is putting pressure on you because i mean they got to get reelected, and they can't get reelected by being toned down. some of them do you figure Kristen cinema is taking an acid back so you figure it was her and what's his name mark warner don't quote me on his name i should have written it down but there are they are both the senators from uh, Arizona, the gen- the junior and senior senators out of Arizona. So basically, Warner, um, if I have his name right, forgive me if I got his name wrong, he got like an eleven percent bump in the polls. Right. I don't want to say eleven percent bump. I'm going to say that his uh, his net favorable is now eleven percent. So basically, you have a favorable and an unfavorable rating, right? And the difference between the two, they call it that. And then they'll either say, like, for instance, if you are, um, if your unfavorable is 39% and then your favorable is 50%, the difference between that is like 11%. It's like 11, so they'll say you're, you're plus 11%. So now Mark Warner is 11%, is plus 11%. Kristen Cinema is minus 1%. Right? Well, at least her change is minus 1% because now, her favorable is only 39% and her unfavorable is uh, 49%. And I guess it was like a, some shift in one, but the thing is she's taking an acid bath in the polls. Why? Because she voted against a $15 minimum wage and her counterpart voted for it. So now his polls are going up, her polls are going down. So people are paying attention, you know, they are listening, you know, and I know I rag on Republicans and I, and I talk about how they, you know, how they don't care about themselves. And I think I just have to distinguish the right wing from the rest of the conservatives because a lot of these uh, 
these kitchen table uh, issues, some people call them. Republicans may not be for them as much as Democrats are, but they are for them. So for some issues, Republicans may be at like 60, like, like 62% and, and Democrats be like 88%, but it's still over 50%. But the people who they put in office are still voting against them. So it, it leads you to wonder who are they really working for? The donors, of course. But because they, you know, hypnotize them and mesmerize them with Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head's genitals, you know, it's basically uh, they keep voting for these people over and over. So if we had a system without money in politics, then that means that the only people who would be involved in politics are people who really want to make a difference. And that would trim out a lot of the Matt Gateses and Marco Rubio's and Kristen Cinemas. It would trim a lot of them out if there were no lobbyists, no people giving money. Um, I mean, some of these companies spend millions and I, maybe even billions over the course of the last 20 years giving money to politicians to shape policy. So if money was out of politics in that way, no lobbyists, uh, you know, reform the uh, campaign finance laws and all that other stuff, it would be a huge, huge, huge shift in uh, making this a better country. So like Mr. Blue said, call your senators, call your congressmen, call them, email them, but be respectful. Because I'm pretty sure if you curse them out in a message or they're not gonna listen to your message and if you threaten them, you're gonna get a visit from Secret Service. So please, when you talk to these people, be respectful. So, Mr. Blue, what are your final thoughts? That was my final thought. <laughs> I mean, I guess my other final thought would be just take care of each other. You know what I'm saying? This world is not an easy place to live. It's not an easy place to navigate, which has become even more complicated with the pandemic, which has become even more complicated with the aftermath of the four years we were under Trump, which showed where America showed just how ugly it really is more so than it has in since um, the civil rights era, I would say in many regards. Um, and it's a very ugly place. Take care of each other. Your strong friend, the friend you think that is doing really, really well, call them, check on them. The friend that's not always doing well, check on them too, of course, more frequently. But as our strong friends, we really need to check up on because sometimes we, we fall victim to the weight of this world. Exactly. As I heard, as I heard a line in, in a rap song, even men of steel can rust sometimes. So, but uh, Mr. Blue, play us off, sir. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Urban Breakdown podcast featuring hit shows such as this one, Politrix, with Mercer Prescott and his band of eclectic cronies in 360 Degrees, available on all streaming podcasts. That's The Urban Breakdown. Subscribe. And after you do so, tell a friend to tell a friend. Yeah, 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 yeah.
Out the mud like she does like she connect to me in my bed In my bed In my bed That's right in my bed